This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Pie in the Sky Media. This series contains adult language and descriptions of graphic violence throughout. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Carolyn Osorio, and this is my new podcast, The Murder Chronicles. You're listening to episode 30, Obsession. Tom smiled to himself. He was doing that a lot these days, thinking about his little secret. It was the first thing he thought of when he woke up, and he was still thinking about it when he went to bed every night. It occupied his time, actually thrilled the monotony of his time, especially when he was at work at Dynabraid, a power tool company where he'd been employed for over a decade. It was like seeing in color again after decades of black and white and he just couldn't help thinking to himself how lucky he was now that he was on the path toward his best life. A life he had always envisioned for himself, filled with passion and intensity, purpose. Suddenly his boring life as a husband of 17 years and a father of two teenage daughters had been transformed by a girl, and her name was Jessie, and he was in love. Their budding relationship had become a jolt to his system, a constant dopamine rush. Finally, he was able to admit to himself something he'd been harboring deep inside for years, that his life had been wasted. But now, it wasn't. He'd been reawakened sexually too. Well, virtual sexting had restored his vitality. There was just one teeny tiny little problem, but... That was easy for him to bat away because he was just having fun with Jesse, an 18-year-old girl. And Tom, well, let's just say Tom wasn't a teenager. I can pretend. I mean, it happens a lot. You know, people pretend to be someone else. They pretend to be men if they're women. They pretend to, you know, be single if they're married. They pretend to be younger or older. It happens a lot more often than you think. I mean, this is a great case to showcase that you can be whoever or whatever you want to be online. For this episode, Barbara Schroeder's documentary, Tall Hot Blonde, was an amazing resource. And so was J.A. Hitchcock's book, True Crime Online, Shocking Stories of Scamming, Stalking, Murder, and Mayhem. Hi, all. My name is Jane Hitchcock, and I'm president of Working to Halt Online Abuse, and I'm also a cybercrime expert. In the mid-2000s, Thomas Montgomery was a 46-year-old man who'd been married for 17 years. He had two teenage daughters. The family lived in upstate New York, and Tom worked for a power tool company called Dynabraid, which was near Buffalo. Tom appeared to be an upstanding citizen, no criminal history, not even a speeding ticket. He teaches Sunday school at his church, but he also believes that he's settled, that the best years of his life have been wasted. This fact occupies a lot of space in his head. 
he's suffering from a severe case of FOMO, fear of missing out. When he looks in the mirror, he doesn't recognize his paunchy, middle-aged reflection. This bothers him, so he started spending a lot of his free time playing on the computer, where he logs in and loses himself at the popular website pogo.com. This is a place where users can play games online like blackjack and bingo while they interact with players through a central hub called Club Pogo. Now, the thing about Pogo is that there's a place for adults to play games and chat and another place for teens. Tom says in May of 2005, he accidentally found himself in the teen chat room of that online gaming service. Tom was playing blackjack when a teen with the handle of Tall Hot Blonde messaged him saying hi. That's how it started. And they just found each other. Yeah, but it uh, started in the spring of 2005. He began chatting online with Jesse in Pogo, uh, where users can play games online and interact with each other. Um, and that's, they just bumped into each other on there. It wasn't long before Tall Hot Blonde was sending pictures of herself in a swimming suit. And she asked the Marine sniper what he looked like. Tom decides to make a fake profile. He went trolling through old photos, wiping off the dust on the one he was looking for that was decades old, from before. When he was a young man, just enlisted into the Marines, that was the picture he was looking for in his full regalia. It matched his screen name, Marine Sniper. He sent this photo to Jesse, and he told her that his real name was Tommy. You can almost see the curl of his middle-aged lip over that bushy mustache. His paunchy middle and balding comb-over fades into the background. Here, he was the Marine Sniper, and this was the most exciting thing he'd done in a long time. His handle, Marine Sniper, that felt good. That was who he was. Or at least that's who he thought he was when he was young. He was actually in the Marines. But enough time and reality had settled upon himself that he knew that kid was long gone. But here, in cyberspace, he could pretend. After all, who would he hurt? No one would ever know. So, 46-year-old Tom describes himself as a six-foot-tall and muscular Marine, and he gives himself the handle Marine Sniper, which implies that he was a sharpshooter, something that he never actually was. And Tall Hot Blonde would say, do you got big shoulders? And Tom says, yeah. And instead of being a middle-aged dad who works at a plant, he was actually a young, virile Marine who was headed for adventure. He was about to be shipped off to boot camp. He tells her it'll be tough, but he was ready to fight for his country. For Tommy, he bled Semper Fi, the motto of every Marine to be committed to the success of battles and the progress of our nation and the steadfast loyalty to the fellow Marines we fight alongside. Oorah. Tom was pleased with himself as he continued to reel in the 18-year-old Jesse, who shared with Tom that she lived in West Virginia, was athletic, a small-town girl with big dreams. Tommy would share with her that his mother had died young, that he had become a lone wolf who'd been burned in past relationships, and that he had a black belt. That he was excited to be a Marine because he wanted to be the best, to do the toughest things. The lies just kept rolling off his tongue, and Jesse seemed to love every single thing that he was saying. So, I mean, here you have this older man, Thomas Montgomery, and all of a sudden he turns into this persona, Tommy. And he tells Jesse that he's in the military and, and just spins these stories. Tom continued to justify the online relationship. 
He would tell himself that they'd never meet in real life, and he wasn't ready to lose the attention of a beautiful, athletic 18-year-old high school student. Jesse continued to send him pictures. She told him that she was excited to graduate from high school soon, and she fantasized about Tommy's picture that he'd sent to her. She didn't know it was 30 years old. At first, their conversations were contained in a chat room and through email. But the more they kept talking, the more they wanted to continue their conversations in other, more private areas. So they started conversing over MySpace and Yahoo Messenger, where Jesse referred to Tommy as her sweet, sexy Marine. And she sent him even more pictures. She thought that he was really a teenager. Here's this middle-aged guy thinking, I've got this... Um however old she was, I think it was 17. Uh, I've got her, she's in love with me. You know, not thinking in his head that she's in love with Tommy, the guy that he created. And they also chatted on the phone each day for short periods of time when Tommy was at boot camp before and after his duties. Tommy would tell Jesse that he was soon going to be shipped out to Iraq, where he would protect our country, protect Jesse. He created elaborate tales of valor and heroism, with him at the center, of course. And the only truth within these lies was that he'd been in the Marines and he'd always wanted to go to war and come back a hero, but he never had. But through Jesse, who appeared to completely buy into all of these lies about Tommy's military exploits and expertise, somehow it was becoming more real than reality for Tom. As they exchanged thousands upon thousands of messages, she was encouraging and soon the relationship became sexual, online. Suddenly, Tom was living his fantasy. He'd grown up watching movies about the grit and heroism of Marines, and now he was able to cast himself as the hero of his own stories in cyberspace, a place where Tommy was tough and strong, and he now had Jessie, a beautiful young girl who loved him. His dreams were finally coming true. In this space, he was finally getting his chance to be dispatched into combat, where Tommy would be victorious as a sharpshooter in the deserts of Iraq. Then he said, I, I have to go to Iraq. And then he actually went on as himself pretending to be Tommy's father and communicating with her that way while Tommy was in Iraq. When Tommy was deployed, he became extremely jealous. He accuses Jesse of sending photos of herself to other men online. But Jesse reaffirms her total commitment to him, even sending him a pair of her thong underwear and a silver heart necklace that says, key to my heart, as a way of assuaging his fears. Despite never physically being in the same room together or meeting face to face, Tommy would propose marriage on Christmas day, 2005, and Jesse accepted. You're asking a teenage girl to marry your teenage persona, and neither one of you has met each other. You've talked over the phone, and that's it. Tommy's deepening online sexual relationship with 18-year-old Jesse is restoring his vitality. Before he met her, he was impotent. But at the same time, this relationship in cyberspace appears to be fracturing his reality. When Tom first began chatting with Tall Hot Blonde, he did so telling himself that it was just a little fun and that Jesse would never know that the Marine sniper was a 46-year-old man. He would justify his actions by saying, she's young, she'll forget about me. But Tom wasn't ready to let Tommy or Jesse go. In fact, it appears that he started to believe that it was real. He began to believe his own lies. How else to explain what would happen next? 
We'll be back after a quick break. On January 2nd, 2006, a week after the Christmas proposal to Jesse, Tom would write a note to himself saying, quote, Tom Montgomery, 46 years old, ceases to exist and is replaced by an 18-year-old battle-scarred Marine. He has money in the bank, $2.5 million. He is handsome, like a red-headed Harrison Ford. Tom would also write about the size of his manhood, how he wouldn't be impotent anymore, and he wondered when this transformation would take place so he could prepare. Tom was going down the rabbit hole of this flirtation which had escalated into a virtual sexual relationship that had become so real to Tom that he could think of nothing else. Meantime, as Tom is living in his own fantasy world, his strange behavior hasn't gone unnoticed with his wife. She's annoyed because her husband is always glued to his computer, like Gollum protecting his precious. He wouldn't even share the computer anymore with his daughters. And whenever his wife would come over to see what game he was playing, Tom would quickly click a button that made his messages with Jesse disappear from the screen. His wife could see that he was just playing a game based on that quick move, but she would still ask who he was talking to. And he would say, just friends. But it was obvious that all was not right. Her husband was hiding something, but what? When he was online, he wouldn't even have a conversation with her, even when she asked to talk with him. He would blow her off by saying, what I'm done. Tom felt guilty about his online relationship, but he was, he was in way too deep. Even when he was at work, he couldn't hide his love for Jesse. He would openly brag to his coworkers about his online lover, that he had plans to leave his wife for Jesse, that he was going to move to West Virginia where she lived, and they would make a life together as soulmates. His wife continued to be suspicious about his behavior, but everything changed for them both when she intercepted a gift from Jesse, a package she had sent to Tommy with her panties inside. Tom's wife, Cindy, confronted him. She wanted a divorce and she wanted to warn Jesse. So she wrote her a letter and said, Jesse, enclosed you will find a picture of my family. Let me introduce you to these people. The man in the center is Tom, my husband. There is no Tommy. He is taking advantage of you. You need to be much more cautious with your safety. You will only be hurt by a man who has mastered the art of manipulation and lies. Do not trust words on a computer. She adds, from what I am pulling from your letters, you are much closer to my daughter's age than mine, let alone Tom's. Are you over the age of 18? In this alone, he can be prosecuted as a child predator. She discovered a package that Jesse had mailed to her husband. She sent him a thong and she said she realized that he was involved in an online relationship with a teenager. And she actually contacted her. She wrote a letter to her in the mail, and she wrote, from what I am pulling from your letters, you're much closer to my daughter's age than mine, let alone Tom's. Are you the over the age of 18? In this alone, he can be prosecuted as a child predator. As you can see, Tom's not 18. He's married and is a father of two. He's 47, and I'm his wife. You've obviously been fooled. Tom's reaction to his wife saying that she wanted a divorce was to move into the basement with his precious computer. It's not hard to imagine how an 18-year-old girl would feel upon finding out that she's been having an online relationship for over a year with a man who's 47 years old. But Jesse wanted to learn more about Tom. Why had he lied to her? She wasn't sure what to do about it. 
but she remembered playing games on Pogo.com with Tommy in the past with his work friend. So she scrolled through Tommy's contacts and settled on the handle Beefcake, a 22-year-old college student who worked part-time alongside Tommy at the plant. Looked at Tommy's friends on Pogo, and that's when she found Brian, and he was using the handle Beefcake1572. Jesse sent Beefcake1572 a message in April of 2007. And when Jesse explained to him how she'd just received a letter from Tommy's wife, well, Tom's wife, he felt really bad that she'd been taken advantage of by Tom. Jesse asked Brian if it was true. Was Tom really a middle-aged man with kids? And Brian said yes. And the two kept chatting. But Jesse made sure to ask Brian if he was really 22. And he was like, yes. Brian was smitten with Jessie right away. He loved her picture and profile details, how she was 18 and beautiful, active, confident. And so the two started playing online games together. And it wasn't long before Jessie was sending Brian pictures and they began having a cybersexual relationship. She let Thomas, now that she knew how old he was, let him know what was going on. And he got really, really jealous. Jessie wanted to add fuel to the fire, and she encouraged Brian to brag about the fact that they were in a relationship together when Tom was online. So he was watching their romance blossom, and he became unhinged. Tom's rage and anger amped up even more after Jessie pressured Brian to publicly shame Tom at their work by telling their co-workers what Tom had been up to with Jessie how he'd lied about his age and had been sexting an 18-year-old girl who had no idea that he was really 47. This bizarre love triangle continued to play out online in angry messages where Jesse and Brian would taunt Tom, and he would respond with horrible threats and mean-spirited texts. So it's surprising when Jesse does something that shocks Tom to his core. In a chat room, she says how much she still yearns for her Tommy. Tall Hot Blonde says, I ache to be with Tommy. Do you miss it, Tom? Marine Sniper, more than you will ever know. My heart aches to hear you call me your Tommy. He adds, I wish I could be that 19-year-old Marine for you. Tall Hot Blonde, I know, Tom. Marine Sniper, coming for you to run away with him. Tall Hot Blonde, OMG. Their cybersexual relationship resumes, but this time, Tommy was on fire because he knew now that 18-year-old Jesse wanted him despite the age difference. But Jesse wasn't satisfied. She was back with Tom, but not for long. She reached out to Brian and they got together again. And Tom, once more, was beside himself with anger, rage, and jealousy. He threatened Jesse that if she didn't stop contacting him, Tom, and leave him alone, he would physically harm her. In fact, Tom would try to break off the relationship with Jesse more than once, but he always went back. The conversation here, Marine Sniper says, I have to leave, honey. Tall, hot, blonde. Why, Tom? Because I can never have you as I want you. Tall, hot, blonde. Don't go. Why, Jesse? You can get on with your life then. Tall, hot, blonde. I have no life. Marine Sniper. Honey, yes, you do. Tall, hot, blonde. My grades are dropping. I hate softball. I fight with my ma all the time. And just like that, their chaotic relationship, fueled with anger and sexual tension and longing, would continue. At one point, Thomas decided, said that he was going to commit suicide if she continued her relationship with Brian. I think that's what, that's when she like stepped it up a bit, and that's when he went over the edge. 
Jesse couldn't help stirring the pot between these men. Tom found out that Jesse had continued her virtual relationship with Brian. Brian continued to talk about this at work. And at some point, Tom began talking about his guns and shooting sprees at work in front of his co-workers. But everything came to a head when Tom found out that Brian was going to hook up with Jesse in person, that he was planning to drive to West Virginia. This is when Tom went ballistic online in a jealous rage. Jesse would end up canceling the invitation she'd offered to Brian for him to come to her house at the last minute. She accused him of only being interested in having sex with her. For Tom, the idea that Brian would have the chance to be with Jesse in the physical world, two young people getting together, it consumed him with rage. If someone's threatening to commit suicide over this relationship that she's having with his coworker, and it right. sounds like they were making fun of him too, because there's triggers along the way with people when they, so it's like yeah. not only was he uh, felt betrayed, but also Brian is talking about him at work, egged on by Tall Hot Blonde. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the, the two of them, they, I think she goaded him into saying things and she goaded Thomas by saying things to him. And she, like I said, it was, she was like poking a scorpion. I don't know, you know, poking something like, let's see what kind of reaction can I get? I think that's what she was doing. You know, I think it was all fun and games for her until it just went the wrong way. It was dark outside on that Friday night, September 15th, 2006. Brian Barrett had just clocked off, and he's headed for his white pickup truck in the empty parking lot. It was 10 p.m. Another shift was completed. This part-time job was just a stepping stone for him, a way to help pay his way through college. He was 22 years old, working on a degree to become a teacher. He still lived with his parents. He had his whole life ahead of him. Whereas Tom Montgomery, on the other hand, had been stewing all day. Overcome with rage and jealousy, Brian had to pay. He'd have to be eliminated in order for all of Tom's dreams to come true. And now, as Brian walked toward his truck, he had no idea that Tom, well, Tommy, that's who Tom was now. Because Jesse had unleashed the Marine sniper within him. And now, Jesse was ignoring him. She wasn't answering his texts. And when he'd called that day, she'd hung up on him. He'd called her so many times that morning. But Tommy knew how to handle Brian, who was just a kid. He wasn't trained as Tommy was. As a battle-scarred Marine sniper, Brian had no idea that Tommy was in the shadows, dressed in camouflage, wearing a ski mask, lying in wait, as Brian unlocked the door to his truck and climbed inside. Tommy was spying the enemy. It was go time, and in the battlefield, you took no prisoners. There was no way that Tommy was going back to his boring life without Jesse. He lifted his gun, his heart thumping in his chest, fueled by his love and lust for Jesse, his rage at Brian. And as Brian put his key into the ignition, Tom Montgomery popped off three shots through the driver's side window, three gunshot wounds to Brian's arm, face, and jaw at close range. Then Tommy fled away into the night. Tom would message Jesse, asking if she was waiting for her boyfriend. He would later write, Come on, see, your boyfriend Brian won't mind you talking to me. Jesse had no idea that Brian had been murdered by Tom. 
because Brian's body wouldn't be found until the following Monday morning when a co-worker noticed his truck in the parking lot. It was early and odd for his vehicle to be there, so the employee got closer to the truck, saw the three bullet holes in the driver's side window, and a body slumped over in the driver's seat. When police arrived at the scene, it was obvious that Brian Barrett had been murdered, and it didn't take long for investigators to interview employees and find out about this bizarre love triangle between Brian and Tom, who were co-workers, and a girl named Jessie. They learned that Tom and Brian had previously been work friends, but that a rift had occurred. It was difficult to grasp the facts of the case. You can almost see investigators scratching their heads. Okay, 22-year-old Brian and 47-year-old Tom had been friends and co-workers, and now we're both vying for the same 18-year-old girl that neither of them had ever actually met in person. And now, Brian was dead? And that's when everything led up to him killing Brian. Because he said, I want you for myself. You know, I know there's an age difference, but you know, look at all the things that we shared online. and. It just blew up from there, and poor Brian got caught in the middle of it. More Murder Chronicles after the break. Investigators were concerned when they learned about the online love triangle between Brian, Tom, and Jesse. Remember, Jesse lived in West Virginia, so they called law enforcement there and asked them to go do a welfare check on her at her home. A middle-aged woman opens the door. They ask to speak to Jesse, but... It's Jesse's mom who says she isn't home. She told the cops, she goes, well, Jesse isn't here. And they said, well, that's funny. We just talked to her like earlier in the evening, like an hour or two before. And that's when she realized she'd been caught in a lie. So she tried to she tried to say that her daughter wasn't going to be home till later that night. And they said, we just talked to her. You can see that the mother is visibly upset and they kept pressuring her, asking questions about her daughter. Jesse's mother, Mary, breaks down and she admits she was Jessie, that she'd been using her 18-year-old daughter's name and photos on the internet, that her daughter, the real Jessie, had nothing to do with this love triangle and had no idea that her mother had been violating her privacy for over a year, pretending to be her, had no idea that her mother was taking photographs of her and then sending them to men along with her lingerie, and that she'd been having cyber sex online with men who thought they were having sex with her. In this love triangle, the only person who'd been telling the truth about his identity was Brian. It was two lonely middle-aged people pretending to be other people. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like pretty quickly it became a, a sexual relationship. I don't well, know. Well, as much as you can have a sexual relationship online, I think they were looking for relationships that they felt they didn't have in real life and pretending to be a teenager was thrilling. And she thought that he was really a teenager. He thought she was really a teenager. And here's this middle-aged guy thinking, I've got this, um, however old she was, I think it was 17. Uh, I've got her, she's in love with me. You know, not thinking in his head that she's in love with Tommy, the guy that he created. And she was, you know, it, it was the same way, both ways. It is completely a figment of each of theirs imagination. Right. Right? Yeah. So right. the fantasy is totally in their heads. And now Brian had been murdered. As for Tom, he was a person of interest from the get-go. He was interviewed right away and was adamant that he had nothing to do with Brian's murder and that he'd gone out to dinner and was home by 10.15 on the night that Brian had been killed, which meant there was no way he could have murdered him 
But Tom's wife told police he hadn't returned home until 11 o'clock. She got suspicious um, because when the police, well, they asked her, you know, said, where was he the night of the murder? She said, yeah, he wasn't home. Cell phone records would confirm Tom was at Dinah Braid around the time of Brian's murder. And evidence collected at the crime scene, including a peach pit that was found near Brian's truck. That peach pit was sent to the lab, and ultimately they would find Tom's DNA on it. After two months of investigation, they had enough to charge him with murder. Brought him in, and he never really said why he did that. I think it was more to see what Jesse would do. I don't think he, he, he never suspected, um, and even when the police told him that she had stolen her daughter's identity online, and she was really a 50-year-old woman, and that he just could not comprehend that. They said he became so erratic in the police interviews uh, it, he, I guess he just couldn't wrap his mind around the fact that he had been catfished, I guess is the best word. And, but he had also catfished her. I mean, Brian is the true innocent. He's 22 yeah. for real. Mm-hmm. He thinks that he's speaking with somebody who's 17, right? Exactly. Why was she trying to, knowing that Tommy, or well, Tom, Thomas so now, Thomas yeah. now is jealous that he was in the military and the way that he's talking is is because I've read the text and he's amping up and she's like, you know, throwing gasoline on it. What, what did she think was going to happen? I think she liked drama. I really do. I think she liked, she didn't have anything going on in her life. And I think that she wanted to see what would happen. It's, it's really sad. You have this this catfish and then the cat other catfish and then the mammoth like you find out that it's almost like this leviathan coming out of this catfish like the mom ends up being the ultimate catfisher i mean it's so yeah and this i think was before the word catfish had even been invented but i think it was the fact that it was such almost like a murder mystery where you have this young guy who's a real person and you have these two middle-aged people who are pretending to be younger and the mother was pretending to be her daughter and she thought that the older man was her daughter's age I guess and they were corresponding with each other pretending that they were teenagers and then they get this actual young man involved and he's the one that ends up being dead. In your experience how far do people take that I mean is this a complete anomaly in your experience or what it's very rare that something will go this far where somebody will kill someone else I've seen it get bad enough where they stalk somebody else online and they stalk them in real life I have seen that that seems to happen more often but usually it stops when they're caught you know by the police but something like this is just out of the norm I think In August of 2007, Thomas Montgomery took a plea deal, pleading guilty to first-degree manslaughter, and he was sentenced to 20 years in prison. At his sentencing, the judge would say, quote, This is a totally senseless killing. This young man has been cut off in the prime of his life, all for absolutely no reason. Back then in New York, where this took place, well, she lived in a different state, right? She lived um, Virginia, I think. And that there weren't any laws back then to... Right. To do anything with her. Are there any, do you know if the laws have changed now, almost 20 years later? There are laws for cyber stalking in every state. There is no federal cyber stalking law for something like this where it involves murder. If it happened today, I think she could have be, been tried as an accessory to murder. 
because she was basically. Um, but I don't think back then they could figure out a way to do it. And he took the brunt of it, even though he, he did kill him. And, you know, when you think about it, he'll be out in 2025. So when you say an accessory, knowing the case as deeply as you yeah. do, you wrote a chapter on it in your book. Yeah. Describe why you think, based on what you know, that she would be an accessory. I can't say that she would be, but I think that they would have probably tried to charge her as an accessory to murder because she knew what she was, she was doing. She knew that she was luring Thomas into getting upset, and she lured this innocent young man into it, and he ended up dead as a result of her involvement. In New York State, you would have to prove that Mary had actually assisted Tom in committing the murder or told him to commit the murder, which she never did. Mary's husband divorced her and her daughter, Jessie, completely cut off all communication with her mother. When police confiscated Mary's computer, they found hundreds of photos that she'd taken without Jessie's knowledge. It was like she'd been stalking her own daughter, waiting for her to be in compromising positions where she would take pictures and she would send these pictures to men. As an expert in cybercrimes, Jane says that they are insidious because a common thing that law enforcement will say is that until the stalker does something illegal, we can't do anything. I'm just shocked that nothing happened to her. I really am. Even the lawsuit was dropped. I mean, it's I interesting. I was talking to my husband about it. And he's like, well, what did she do? And I'm like, what? What? She caused him to kill this guy. She, you know, it's like, a, I, I just, it just boggles my mind sometimes. I think too, when you're stalked online, a lot of people complain about it, but police are like, until he does something, I can't do anything. Yeah, that's why when, um, uh, when we were actively working with victims, 90% of the time we could help them end their online stalking without getting police involved because, you know, you can trace emails through IP addresses. You contact uh, the law enforcement um, sections of like Instagram, Snapchat and whatever. And when they heard from an organization like ours, they took it more seriously than the victim complaining to them on being stalked online. So we tended to get more action taken. And then, you know, for the 10 to 15% that we had to, sent to law enforcement, you know, thankfully law enforcement stepped in, I would say the majority of the time. Los Angeles does have a cyber stalking unit. New York City does as well. And some of the bigger cities, Boston, I know does, but there's still so many police agencies in some of the bigger cities. And, and some of the smaller ones are really, really good about handling these cases where you have the ones that they just say, I don't understand, just stay offline. It's like, well, that's like telling a stalking per a person being stalked in real life, stay in the house. It's not an answer. You know, so much is done online these days. You can't say just stay off the internet. And I think that's the hardest thing that law enforcement and judges can't get through their heads, quite honestly. I mean, there were like three cases I know offhand that I actually was I wrote written, written testimony for it. The cop went, he had all the evidence and he really believed and everything like that. And the judge said, I just don't understand how this can happen. Just tell her to stay off the internet. And he threw the case out. It was like, what? You know, what, what kind of idiot does that? Well, I shouldn't be calling a judge an idiot, but, <laughs> you know, but seriously, it's, uh, there's still a lot of education that's been, that needs to be done, but they are thankfully taking it a lot more serious. It's almost like not victim blaming, but like, hey, yeah. if you're online, it's your own fault. 
you know, you should just stay off or it's like nowadays, if you don't have a profile, people are like, what, what's wrong with you? What's you're wrong with you? Exactly. Yeah. Thankfully today, there are some steps. Most of them will come to us and be like, I don't know what to do. It's like, well, have you contacted Instagram or Facebook? Well, no. Well, you have to do that or contact your ISP if you're getting emails. You know, it's just, we had to walk them through how to file the complaint. And I think the the biggest thing that I find really, really wrong with the internet is because of the CDA, the Communication Decency Act, that a provider cannot be sued for what their users do. That's the loophole. Say they went and they tried to sue pogo.com, the Brian's parents, they, they couldn't do that because of the CDA. Pogo.com is not responsible for what their users do. You have to sue the user or the family of the user. And that's probably the biggest thing that drives me absolutely nuts. And I spoke at a conference in San Francisco and there were a bunch of people from the ISPs like Facebook, Snapchat, and LinkedIn, blah, 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 all over, you know, ISPs um, and, and pretty much everywhere. And I got up and I showed a couple of cases I worked on. I talked about cyberstock in general. And then the guy who was the MC or the host, he said, so go ahead and be honest with us. What would you like us to do as providers? I said, make people provide you with an ID showing that they're a real person and give them one account. I got booed. And what did you They're say? Like, we can't do that. I mean, I'm I'm looking at it. I said, you asked me, honestly, what I think would, could be done to help people from being stalked online. This would be the perfect answer. Because right now, anyone can go online and create 5, 10, 15, 20 different Facebook, Twitter accounts, whatever. They don't have to prove that they're a real person. And that's why so many of these cases happen. And that one, this one is a perfect one. They were pretending to be other people. When I was speaking with Jane, I could tell that she has a real passion for helping people, and I asked her about it. There was a writing group, and somebody posted they were a literary agency out of New York, and I sent them my proposal. They sent it back saying, this is great. Now send them the manuscript and uh, send us a check for a reading fee. And I started going, that doesn't sound right. So because I blew the whistle on them, they began stalking me online um, to the point that I worked for the University of Maryland. And uh, I was doing their night night courses. I was an assistant. And I went to one of the satellite campuses and a car with New York plates actually came through the parking lot. And I, I'm positive they were, they were trying to stalk me in person. And it took me many years to get them taken care of. And the people who did it, of all people, was the U.S. Postal Inspection Service because the writers who had been scammed were sending their checks and money orders through the postal mail. And that's how they ended up getting them. There were no laws at the time. And so I couldn't do anything. I filed a civil suit and that was the only thing I could do. So the postal inspectors finally got them and it turned out to be a husband and wife pretending to be like many people in this so-called agency. And uh, he went to jail and she begged off saying that she had a heart condition. So they gave her probation. And the day he got out of jail, she died. And I did a little happy dance, I hate to tell you, because they. They tried to ruin my life. But as a result, I became a cybercrime expert. I started working to halt online abuse with another woman who had been stalked online. And then when she left, she became a lawyer. She's a very successful lawyer now. I took over and, um, you know, it goes from there. So I, my life went from Okinawa things to cybercrime. That's incredible. I mean, I can imagine that uh, when victims come to you, you're not just someone who's like, oh, I'm sorry that this happened. You're someone yeah. who's like, this has happened to me. 
Yes. And that means a lot. Yes. And you've got the skills to help them. According to the director of the documentary Tall Hot Blonde, Barbara Schroeder, she would say that they actually interviewed Mary Schuyler after all this happened. And she asked her, what were you thinking? And her justification for lying online was that she was bored and lonely and that she was just looking to have some fun. And the reason she kept talking to Tom Montgomery was because she didn't want him to talk to real teenagers. Jane says this case is a terrifying reminder of the dangers of the internet. And if you're being cyberstalked or know someone who is, you're not alone, that there is help out there. Haltabuse.org. And we provide a lot of advice on there and information and um, you know, trying to help victims not be victims anymore. The Murder Chronicles is a pie-in-the-sky production recorded live in the beautiful Pacific Northwest. We are produced by Brandon Morgan and myself, music by Soundstripe. For Pie in the Sky Media, I'm Carolyn Osorio, your writer and host. Thanks for listening.